Before we get started with today's podcast, we'd like to take a quick moment to talk about this year's Willis Towers Watson Media Awards. Changeboard is up for HR Magazine of the Year, and we need you, yes you, to vote. To show your support for Changeboard, go to bit.ly slash choosechangeboard. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash choosechangeboard. And register your vote now. Voting closes on Friday, the 22nd of June. Welcome to Changeboard's Future Talent Podcast, our series of exclusive interviews with senior business leaders and thinkers to uncover their perspectives on the changing world of work. My name is Mary Appleton and I'm Changeboard's Chief Editor. Today, I'm joined by Gemma Lines, who is a director and the head of resourcing for EMEA for the global banking giant Citigroup. Don't forget to subscribe to the Future Talent Podcast and listen to our range of interviews via iTunes, SoundCloud or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. A communications professional by background, Gemma is passionate about leadership, inclusion, learning, recruitment and all things talent. She's a senior executive coach within the business and is actively involved in City's talent, inclusion and innovation agendas. In this podcast, Gemma talks about her career to date and how her marketing background has helped inform her views on recruitment and resourcing. She outlines her expectations for the future of resourcing with the advent of globalisation, changing employee demographics and the need for different ways of working driven by changing expectations of future talent. Gemma also discusses diversity, how City is looking at hiring a diverse talent pool and what initiatives the business is implementing to embed true diversity into the hiring process rather than simply paying lip service or ticking boxes. She also outlines her expectations for the future of work and why she believes the core leadership competency for the future is the ability to show up as vulnerable, admit you don't have all the answers, but then flex your approach to ensure you change and learn all the time. So hi, lovely to see you Gemma today. Great to see you Mary. Can we start by talking a little bit about your career? Yeah. So how did you get to where you are now? What lessons have you learned along the way? Well that's a big question and, <laughs> and I'm actually a bit of a bit of a maverick in that I didn't come into HR until relatively recently. I started my career in business to business marketing communications. Uh, which was wonderful. So everything below the line, above the line, advertising, collateral, you name it. And ended up specialising in what was then very trendily called thought leadership communications, which is really around taking uh, intellectual content um, and packaging it to better position brands in the marketplace. Through that, I ended up doing lots of work with business schools um, and ultimately was headhunted to rebrand CAS Business School from yeah. City University okay. Business School to CAS Business School. Amazing job. Created a marketing communications function from scratch. Um, and that's where my foray to the dark side, as my PR friends call <laughs> HR, began. Um, I got really close to everything, learning and leadership and talent and employment and employability through the business school uh, which was a full service business school so everything from um, relatively uh, young people coming in and doing undergraduate degrees right through to executive development um, with some of the world's biggest uh, corporates yeah 
Uh, from there, I made the move um, to BPP, which at the time was one of Europe's largest training providers. Um, and it was a really brilliant move, actually, because it was back into the private sector, having had this sort of spell in the university mm. sector. Um, and then from there, went to the Mind Gym. Uh, so one way or another, been in and around the marketing of people and learning-based businesses for a really, really long time. So that sort of explains the slightly bonkers move that I made <laughs> next, which was to come to City to look after graduate marketing, uh, recruitment and development. So it, it was sort of, uh, do I, don't I, you know, try this crazy yeah. world of HR. Um, and here I am. So I got to City, um, ran the graduate piece for quite a long time. Then we had a significant uh, HR transformation here, which we're very proud of. Um, and we decided to join together all recruitment in one place. And that's yeah. what I do is I run recruitment um, for City and Emir. It's about 10,000 hires a year uh, across 50 plus countries. I guess the other thing to say about me, though, is that I'm I'm not a traditional resourcing head in that I wear lots of hats at City and get involved in lots of things. So I suppose um, the work that's giving me most energy at the moment is actually the work that sits alongside resourcing. So executive and transition coaching, I do a yes. lot of that. I'm a, a leadership facilitator here, which is wonderful. Um, and I do a huge amount in the diversity and inclusion space. So I wear lots of hats here and I'm become a sort of de facto marketing consultant to the function. So do lots of stuff around engagement and trying to get behavioral change through really strong marketing. So that's a long answer, but I only have one lesson. I mean, I've learned tons. But my <laughs> lesson is, is that really is that if you get close to something and it looks fun and it looks exciting, just do it. Um, I think I make less money than I would have done staying <laughs> in marketing, to be honest. But, you know, that's my lesson is, you know, if you if you want to have a go at something, it's OK to make a lateral move. And actually, you'll be a richer professional for it. So, you know, I'm the person that people come to in the function if they want to drive behavioral change or look at engagement or marketing or comms in any way. So I really I really love that hybrid. Um, so, yeah, that's my lesson learned. Fantastic. Good. Okay. And so from a resourcing perspective, then obviously you're head resourcing now within City. Mm. What's your kind of ambition for the function? Mm. Where do you want to take the function in the next few years? It's a really good question. So in although we're a large resourcing function here in EMEA, um, as I say, around about 10,000 hires a year, yeah. including the grad. Uh, we're a minnow in City terms. So the other regions, you know, Latin America, um, Asia Pacific and North America do, you know, multiples of that, you know, mm. up to 25, 28, sometimes thousand hires a year. So one of the things we really want to do is get more globally aligned and figure out um, as the marketplace is increasingly globalizing, how can we globally connect with people who may want to work for us around the world? So what are the opportunities to align globally? Um, so one of my uh, biggest aspirations is now we've been through significant transformation in the region. What can we do to align how we recruit here 
with how we recruit elsewhere in the world. So thinking about things like having global sourcing centres, which traditionally have been done regionally, is there an opportunity to do those globally? And actually, it's quite logical if you think about it, because if I think about one of our uh, best partners, um, Alexander Mann, they have uh, sourcing solutions for their clients, which we leverage, um, and they've got centres in Manila, that service EMEA. Yeah. So why would we not look at that on a global basis? So feeling quite excited about being part of a global team to try and get really aligned on what we do around the world. Okay, fantastic. And from a more general perspective then, in terms of resourcing mm. itself, where do you see resourcing moving to in the yeah. future? There's a lot of change happening at the moment. Yeah, I, I think that's a great question because I think it's going to change significantly. So I think the first question I'd ask is, will there be a resourcing function okay. in the future? Yeah. And one of the things I definitely think that you'll see much more of is really sophisticated, direct connection between whatever your sourcing function is um, and uh, candidates. Yeah. So I can see a scenario where actually old-fashioned, old-school recruitment interaction goes away for some hires. It shouldn't go away for some. We wouldn't want that. It's very yeah. important and recruitment plays a very important role in uh, attracting talent. But I can see a situation where you have a lot more direct matching, where candidates directly connect themselves with you digitally and organisationally. And organisations get really savvy about turning on um, self-selection tools so that people are able to pick the thing that's yeah. right for them. Yeah. So that's a big trend that I see. I would also say that I think world demographics or at the very least Western European demographics are going to really shape how we do things as well. So we aren't geared up, for example, really in large organisations yet for people who want to work in a different way. Yeah. A lot of cliches around this, but we're going to have to figure out what to do with an ageing population uh, what that might mean from them f for from a, um, a working pattern perspective. And I think as we sort of, you know, mature societally and realise that having children is a societal concern and not the reserve of young parents, we'll also see organisations getting much savvier about agile and flexible working and not in old school ways either, in really creative and different ways. And so I'd like to work... Um, in uh, talent organisations in the future that are able to adapt to that. And I think that um, it's, it's something that not everybody's cracked, yeah. um, but we'll have to because people mm. will tell us that they don't want to work in the ways in which uh, we're currently constructed. Mm. Okay. And you've kind of alluded to, to my next question then in, in terms of that answer. So how do you feel that the expectations of future talent have changed mm. over the years, particularly in light of the mm. global financial crisis, for example? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say a couple of things. So I would say that I don't think there's any question that um, there are many, there are still many thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who want to work in financial services. Um, that doesn't mean that we have done a good enough job of explaining uh, what it means today, post-global financial crisis, to mm. work in an organization like ours. So I think from a banking perspective, um, 
we're going to have to work hard to tell the positive story of why somebody who has many choices would want to choose us. So I think um, from a branding point of view, that's going to be a big focus for financial services over the next few years. But I think just generally, what I see is an expectation, sometimes overt, but normally subconscious, that every experience that we have should be personalised and consumerized. Yes. And yeah. actually, that is just you know, not the way in which large organizations have traditionally recruited. And so, you know, we have um, a situation where, you know, news feeds will predict what we'd be interested in reading before we we know what we're we're interested in ourselves. So if you think about that from a talent perspective, you know, uh, or let's take learning, that's a really interesting um, uh, piece, isn't it? So you come into an organization, you know, really our learning and development should be anticipated. So we should we should basically know what it is that you need and yeah. might want and serve that to you proactively. And so you you know you don't have to sort of figure it out for yourself. Mm. And some organizations are very good at that and some have more work to do. So I think consumerization and personalization, and I would say this because I'm a marketeer, wouldn't I? But you know, I dream of a day where we learn the lessons of marketing in HR. And we are able to really segment candidate bases in the way that we do so for customers and serve up proactively what they might want to see. I think there's some of that, uh, but nowhere near enough. Okay. And so within City then, how how are you working towards or or currently ensuring that the resourcing slash slash HR activities... Um, when it comes to things like employer brand are aligned to the wider marketing strategy of the business yeah so um, it's a great question and it's and it's um, I'm going to give you a regional answer so I think it depends where you are in the world for city so where we have a very present high street high street retail brand um, we need to ha- work harder to explain the breadth of what we do. So we need to, um, you know, you might go to America and you might assume that we are um, an, a bank that will serve you as a consumer. In fact, we're a huge investment bank also. So yeah. we need, we've got to, you know, to balance those two sides of the brand. Here in EMEA, it really depends where you are as to how you see our brand. So some people know us as a you know tier one investment house and of course we are that in some markets actually um, particularly where we don't have city bank anymore in our name mm. we have to work mm. really hard to say look this is who we are and this is what we do so one of the things that we're really careful to do is ensure that we try and match our uh, employer branding efforts externally with the local marketing efforts in each country or in each yeah, cluster. Okay. And that's what makes sense for us. So we piggyback as far as we can, if you like, on what we're doing from a client attraction perspective. Um, and I'll give you a um, really good example of that. So we are working really closely with um, our public affairs team on any initiative which showcases what we do, um, what we call pathway to progress. So this is the philanthropic efforts that the organization makes. And we make sure that we um, partner with those teams to um, get the best recruitment return for that, if you like. So on that then, what efforts are you putting into attracting and and hiring a diverse talent pool um, across the region, but also globally? Mm. Um, And how are these efforts translating into positive outcomes for the business? I mean, this is 
you know, probably my deepest passion actually mm-hmm. um I, don't, I think you'd be hard pushed to find a more feminist head of recruitment actually <laughs> I mean, and i mean that from a from an equity perspective but i i, ju- I just feel like um there's so much opportunity uh within hr to um support the business efforts to hire more diversely and yet it is so challenging to do one of the things that um i'll point to here at city that w- that that I'm proud of is one of the first things we did was we did a systemic bias review. So we looked at every piece of our recruitment process and we tried to understand where we had unintentionally, of course, baked in bias. So I'll give you uh, an example. Everything we know from research, and I've I've recently written my my thesis on this, I'm passionate about it. Everything we know says that senior women can take quite a long time to hire. And there are lots and lots of reasons for that. And yet, we've got recruiters incentivized on a time-to-hire basis. So deeply unintentionally, we've set ourselves up to fail. Was it the recruiters were saying, you know, I haven't got time to hire women? Of course not. It was far more complex than that. So what we've done is we've completely um, changed those KPIs. And in fact, we've actually got um, gender-only sources um, as a pilot at the moment. So people who are only looking for uh, diverse talent, in this case, uh, women. Yeah underrepresented at most levels still unfortunately in financial Mm. services so lots of work to do there so that was a a good piece and then on the back of that review we looked at some other places where we thought we could be smarter and another initiative um, which we have is called comply or explain so what we've done there is contractually talk to our uh, partners search firms and agencies and we've Um, change the terms of contract with them to say that we expect you to field a diverse slate. Uh, What we mean by that is women Mm. uh, on on shortlist for every role. So comply with that or explain why not. And the reason I think it's very important to have it that way rather than mandate that is that you, if you mandate um, gender diverse long list, my experience is you get into gamification there. So you have non-genuine candidates, you have a bit of game playing and, and we don't want that. We know that there are very few women in some of these positions. So explain to us the marketplace. So the sort of explain bit of comply or explain is, okay, so there isn't a a direct to level woman, you know, anywhere globally in this niche position, but hey, look at the VP talent coming through, look at the levels below. So the point is that the explanation should, um, you know, in partnership with our agencies and search firms, um, field much more diverse outcomes. So that's that's been really good. And I suppose in terms of the last part of your question, so what are the positive outcomes for the business? I mean, I suppose the place that we're proudest would be the work that's happened in our graduate pipeline. So essentially, we're just hiring more women now than we ever have. Uh, and there, you know, a, 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 and there are lots of reasons for that. But I don't think there's any question that the work that we've put in um, over the last five or six years has played, played a part in that mm. from, you know... Um, female attraction events you know by women for women yeah um right through to um a real recognition that you can't be what you can't see so real effort to um, put role models in everything we do in attraction through to unbelievable sport support from business heads who have who may not have a direct target but who certainly have an aspiration of 50 50 um for their intakes yeah so uh we're we're proud of that i think Oh, have we achieved that yet? 
No. Are we much closer than we were five years ago? Yes. Okay, fantastic. And are there any other kind of initiatives around other areas of diversity? So kind of social mobility, um, black minority ethnic. Mm-hmm. Are you working on any of those areas? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, one of the best things about this organisation is that we have what we call um, employee affinities. Yeah. So we have strands of diversity and obviously they're slightly different depending on where you sure. are in the world. Um And what that means is we have this incredible employee network base who are passionate about their particular strand or affinity, strand of diversity or affinity, and they'll partner with us. So a great example is we've been doing some uh, graduate events for the LGBTQI. I think I've got that right. (laughs) I'll have to check with the... uh, the pride network as we call it when I go back to my desk but we've been doing work with them to attract graduates and leveraging their networks and who they know which is which is really exciting so yeah across across a few strands of diversity I think uh, socioeconomic mobility is you know um, the hardest in some ways difficult to track uh, we're in a mere uh, business so um, we being honest we tend to leave a lot of those initi- uh, initiatives to local countries so I, I'll speak yeah. to the UK which yeah. is where I am so we're uh, incredibly proud of an initiative uh, which is not a recruitment initiative but one that we support is um, we work with an organization called Career Ready that brings in um, about 100 interns into our uh, offices on a work experience basis in the summer yeah and our intent is a very long-term game, of course. Of course. But our yeah, intent yeah. is to convert them to interns um, and full-timers. And we have some sort of early examples of, of that coming through. So we're very proud of that. And I would say just generally, we rely very heavily on our partners in, in the uh, black and minority ethnic space also um, to help us. Because obviously, um, you, if your socioeconomic mobility is improving chances are you're also tapping into a much more diverse pool um than you know the traditional russell group universities would serve you so yeah i think i think they sort of go hand in hand mm. have we done enough no um i'm hoping that the apprenticeship efforts will um give us a chance to think again about some other ways of joining the organization um so we have some people looking at that but we've not been successful yet in bringing that into the firm so something we're exploring okay fantastic and and the first time i ever visited here you, you know it was when you were back when you were head of graduate resourcing yeah and, and it was actually an event for people from underprivileged backgrounds to come yeah. and look at what is banking all about yeah. see the trading floor for the yeah. first time yeah so. we love those events and you know i suppose I feel passionately about it. Like, you know, perhaps you'll relate to this, Mary, with your background. You know, I I went to a state school, comprehensive one that I'm very proud of. I, I got a place at Oxford, sort of <laughs> to, to my surprise, really, um, <laughs> with huge support. And when I got there, I, I, I didn't ever think of myself as being disadvantaged having gone to a state school. And I grew up, frankly, in a pretty privileged middle-class background. But when I got to Oxford I realized how much extra support people from fee-paying schools had received yeah. to get there mm. and how savvy they were I remember yeah. my boyfriend in my first term actually if this isn't too much to share with your <laughs> listeners um had it was already you know doing what they called the milk round I mean I, yeah. I literally thought a milk round was you know actual John milk. who <laughs> used to put the milk on the doorstep so I 
just did not know what that meant. Yeah. And, he, and there, back then there was a lot of money sloshing around. So, you know, you'd have sort of management consultancies taking people skiing for the weekend and mm. lots of cocktail parties from the investment banks and so on. I didn't go to any of that. In fact, I don't even remember going to the career service while I was there. Yeah. Um, so I was really uninformed, you know. And what I felt joining um, CAS was that there really were there really was a huge disparity um, between people who'd been um, supported to make career decisions early and therefore had made decisions in their life, even what subjects to take, yes. certainly what university yeah. to go to, and certainly when at university, what might you do to better secure a role in the future? And I felt that that wasn't fair and I still feel that's not fair. Mm. Um, and so in, our, in my small way, when permission to do so and when that aligns corporately, I do my best to show as diverse a group as possible that banking is absolutely for them. Um, and actually we need cognitive diversity, yeah. um, let alone um, background diversity. So I've, I feel like there's a huge opportunity to uh, open our doors and, and say, you know, this is a place for everybody. And so continuing kind of the theme of inclusion then, in terms of um, the digital revolution, which is happening at the moment, and there's mm. lots of talk about it, particularly in the media, um, I have to say I, I've observed more kind of robots are coming in to take all of our jobs, which <laughs> yeah. is quite a negative yeah, perception. Yeah. Do you think that's justified or do you think it's scaremongering? So look, I, I, you know, I don't think there's any question that as a business we see technology-driven solutions as huge opportunities for our clients. Um, so I think it's true not only in terms of technology services being available to our customers, but also in the way that technology will enable us to work more efficiently and intelligently. Mm. What I would say is we're always looking at ways to optimise our processes and enhance the experience of the workforce and, and our clients and of course, automation is part of it. But it also means that we need to invest more heavily in skills that will help us develop that automation. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think it's going to mean investment in an ever more technology savvy workforce. Um, you know, people who have an innovation mindset in the short to medium term, at least. So I think I don't I don't see. Um, I, th I think the nature of the jobs that we recruit for will change um, for sure. And I think the future of work will more deeply prize humans, actually. Yeah. So I think what we can offer more than ever before, and by we I mean people, the sort of human qualities of intuition and empathy, yeah. creativity, wisdom, what I'm saying is, is not new. Many people are saying it. Ethics, you know, will be the gold dust of skill sets. So I, I think that's quite exciting because mm. those are things that humans, you know, can do. And, and as yet, um, automation can't give you. So I, I think uh, will the workforce change? Yes. Um, will we need to hire people who are up for that change? Yes. Um, but I, I, I personally think there's a bit of. Uh, scaremongering around that yeah yeah and and one of the things we're championing within change board is is this idea of digital inclusion mm. so you know obviously the technological revolution is coming mm. and it has the potential in my view to be a real force for good yeah but it does have also the potential to exclude certain areas of society yep. if they 
perhaps don't have access to it yep. or indeed don't have the skills, have maybe come into the workforce previously when technology wasn't available. Yeah. Um, so we're talking to kind of organizations around, okay, what are you doing to reskill your current workforce yeah. using technology yeah. um, to make sure that they have the skills to, 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 to go forward in their careers? So. Well, I think that's a great effort. And what I would say is, it, it, you know, it starts with the top. So, you know, one of the things that um, I've been involved in, um, which our talent team, you know, led and uh, I was a part of, was helping our board and operating committee um, tune in to uh, what coding is, as a simple example. Okay, so yeah. we worked with a, a great uh, organisation who took us to a, um, you know, very trendy warehouse in Shoreditch <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as all these Canary Wharf yeah. bankers trekked over there <laughs> and frankly um, they set us a coding challenge uh, and it was fantastic so I think what it did was help us understand you know the power of coding in a day um, so that was just brilliant and I think organizations you know I, I really dislike this concept of you know um, what do they call it, permafrost, you know, middle management who don't get it, you know, the implication yeah. being that the top does and it's just these sort of naughty managers in the middle. I mean, I really don't buy that at all. You know, we are responsible for who works for us, right, and how they behave. Uh, so therefore, I expect leaders to model this, you know, through whether it's reverse mentoring or it's, you know, learning to code or it's showing up digitally, mm. you know, whatever it may be. Um, and then, you know, the rest of the organization will follow. So I think, you know, I think it's hard to take you seriously if you're still printing off your emails, put it that way. Yeah. So I think you have to, to role model that. I would also say that, um, you know, if ever you want to feel inadequate, just, just talk to your children. Um, <laughs> so I think that is, that is going to be just incredible what, what, what little children today yeah. expect mm. from from technology is is ju just extraordinary mm. so i think um leaders today need to be to be looking out for that yeah okay and and so what do you think are the key skills and capabilities mm. that leaders may require in the future then and, and how can they start to develop them now when we maybe don't know what jobs and work will look like yeah, and I think that's, you've just nailed it there. So I think what we have is a generation of leaders, broadly speaking, who were brought up to believe that they should have the answers. They're here to solve problems. Yeah. They're here to fix things. And I just don't think that that's the core leadership competence of the future. I think it's about, with imperfect information, in a sometimes too much information, in a very fast way, leaders need to find the best solution, which may be a trade-off. And so leaders who are able to listen rather than talk, crowdsource rather than solve themselves, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, role model rather than instruct are the ones that we're looking for. And I'm not sure we do have those competencies nailed, actually. Um, not for sustainable business. So I'm really curious about organisations that deliberately partner with people who oppose them, for example. You know, I'm fascinated by, um, you know, that concept of, you know, uh, competition teaching you something um, or opposition teaching you something. So I think there has to be a lot of courage in saying publicly as a leader that you don't know 
everything. Yeah. And I don't think today's leaders are very comfortable with that. Um, and I'm probably not very comfortable myself with that. <laughs> so I think that's going to be something for sure. I think also this concept of vertical development. So the idea that, you know, great leaders never stop learning. Yeah. And that they're always making micro shifts in their behavior. And that sounds like a very hackneyed thing to say. We've been saying it for a very long time. But how many leaders actually do that? Mm. So how many leaders, you know, because the thing about being a senior leader is that your behavior has got you to this point and it's been, you know, really good. Yeah. So, you know, wh why should you show up differently at work? And so I think the best leaders are those that are always changing and are vulnerable enough. I'm very much into that concept of vulnerability as leaders vulnerable enough to say that they don't know everything and that they're changing and learning all the time. So those are some core competencies that I think are going to be very important. Um, I think a piece of work that we, we sort of uh, have used here at City, which, you know, um, is something that I ruthlessly stole from the 70s, so it's been around a long time, is this concept of critical friends. So the idea that you know, at key points in your decision making, yeah. you engage with somebody who thinks differently from you, yeah. who's there in the support of you, that's the friendship piece, yeah. but is deliberately criticizing constructively yeah. your thinking. It can be so powerful. Um, how often do we interview with somebody because they're probably going to pick the same person as us? Yeah. You know, how courageous is it to say, I'm going to interview that person over there because they really do um challenge me to the point mm. of irritation you know, <laughs> you know that's when you really get the best outcomes for your business so i think that concept of you know being courageous enough to genuinely change your mind is something that will be the hallmark of leaders in the future okay and is that something you try and do yourself yeah, I was just, um, I do. And one of the great things about being a leadership facilitator is you get to go through these courses yeah. all the time, don't you? So you kind of, every time I'm like, oh, I should do that. <laughs> so I, th I think where I try and do it is I'm really, I'm really sort of fascinated by that Kahneman thing around, you know, system one and system two thinking. So why mm. is it that we don't take enough time to um, make deep and thoughtful decisions. You know, what it, how can we slow ourselves down? So one of the things that I'm trying to do is I have someone in my team who could not be more different from me. In fact, I've told her this. We, we clash quite often, actually. Mm. But she's the person now that I'm taking to any interview with me. And I'm confident that we're hiring differently because of it. Yeah. Um, I don't always like that because um, I you know I like who I like um, so I, as a head of recruitment I probably shouldn't say that but that, <laughs> that's how I feel and so yeah I've really learned from that and I would say the other thing that I've tried to do is um, really be you know one should always be listening more than talking although this this podcast the opposite obviously but but with with juniors in the team to really show up to have your mind changed because they're so much closer to what will come. And so I'm really trying to spend more time with people um, listening, which obviously they find quite irritating because they normally <laughs> want me to give them some advice or, <laughs> um, or some coaching. So, so I'm really trying to reverse that and, and learn from them. Yeah. Okay. And we've covered lots of subjects today, mm. um, but just trying to kind of tie everything together. So big question, but I guess... I'd love to know what your hopes are 
uh, for the broader future world of work. And what are your views on business um, as a collective being responsible together to create workplaces that are diverse, inclusive, promote all wow, these different things? That is things a big question, about. isn't it? Um, I suppose what I have observed, you know, nothing revolutionary in this, is that we're still really living in a very sort of post-industrial revolution world. You know, we have businesses that are constructed in really very few ways. So organisational design is nowhere near as different business to business as we would you know imagine actually yeah. there's a few models and you can normally kind of um it's that sort of charles handy stuff i think is yeah. still incredibly valid so i suppose what i'm really interested in is what i would hope is that we can break some of those models and i think that is the key to true inclusion because as long as you have a concept of work where people do it every day do it for a set amount every day. Go somewhere to do it. Um, are judged by somebody often on, you know, how much time they give to something rather than how successful something is. Yeah. Which I still really do think actually is 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 part of performance management mm. in today's world. Then, you know, that that's that's what we need to break. We need we need to break that. And I am an optimist and I am a uh, you know, a conceptualist, I suppose. So I, I have very high hopes for that because, you know, models take time to change. Society takes time to change. You know, I forget who it was that said, you know, it's not that long ago that we, you know, the concept of working for pleasure came in. You know, mm, you used to work, yeah. and, and this is an incredibly developed world luxury that we're in. You know, um, we, we, we are so high up the hierarchy of needs that, you know, we forget that most people around the world are working to feed themselves and yeah. their families. And so this concept that work should be challenging and authentic and balanced with life is is really the, the reserve of, 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 of the professional classes. And yeah. so I think we've got a really long way um, to go before that's more equitable. Um, so... And I suppose I have a, a, a slightly um, feminist, iconoclastic view on this as well, which is that, you know, let's face it, most organisations or the construct of work was built, you know, by men for men. And yeah. so, you know, that is part of the problem is that we're trying to fit, you know, the triangles that are women into the square holes created yeah. by constructs that men built. And that's not a conscious thing. It's not that men are walking around doing it deliberately or women walking around doing mm. it deliberately because women at the top of organisations and I'm one of them are just as bad uh, that as, as others. I just, um, I just feel like it might be time for big organisations to have a complete rethink about how they're structured. Um, did that answer your huge question? Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed speaking to you today. And you. Thank you for listening to this Change Board Future Talent podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a comment and rating. You can also check out our other interviews and stories on our website, www.changeboard.com. We look forward to bringing you another Future Talent podcast very soon. Bye.